I'm Bree, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Hi, I'm Jess, one of the co-founders of Frank Body. Welcome to Selfish, a podcast that is all about putting yourself first and redefining the word selfish. Over this content series, we're exploring a variety of topics with some amazing faces that you'll know, from self-awareness with Brooke Lurton to self-discovery with Jackie Gillies. We're also talking about self-pleasure with Chantelle Otten and self-wealth with the incredible Victoria Devine. Podcast episodes for Selfish drop weekly on Tuesdays alongside a whole bunch of amazing tools, tips and tricks from our team that you can find across the Frank Body social channels. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and let's get selfish together. Hi there, I'm Candice, our global head of marketing here at Frank Body. Over the past few weeks in the US, I've had the great opportunity to meet some incredible women for our Selfish podcast. Today, we're talking about self-identity with Linda Mariano, author of Love Language, host of the award-winning Tough Love podcast, renowned Australian DJ and media personality for the past 15 years. In Love Language, her memoir released in 2023, she discusses life as a people pleaser with her dual Italian and Chinese Malaysian heritage. How we define ourselves impacts how we live, how we behave, and how we think. And by recognizing our own beliefs and who we are at our core, we can cultivate a strong sense of self. Now, let's dive in and meet Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Candice. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for taking time out of your day to come join this podcast. We are talking about being selfish and how good that actually feels. So welcome. Thank you. It's taken me a while to like lean into my selfish side. And now I'm really like, I'm really living it. Yeah, I love it. More people should. And that's why we're doing this podcast because we really want to normalize what it means. Um, So I want to take a step back and why we were so excited to have you was really listening to your podcast and one episode particular about self-identity and you had interviewed your dad Mm. when he was, you know, still working as a hairdresser and you could just feel the pull of he loves the work he's doing. It's part of his identity. But then if you let go of that, your identity, you feel like you're losing it a little bit. And I don't know if it was just the timing that I heard that, but it just, I like stopped in my tracks. I was like, wow, I needed to hear this today because it's really easy to get so caught up in our jobs. And I feel like it's not a bad thing because we can care a lot about our jobs, but if we give all that control over to a company, a brand, a person, then it's who's in the driver's seat. So that's really why when we were building this podcast, your name was like, Linda, I need to interview her. Oh, I'm so glad. She understands identity and the complexity that's really all about it. So we're really excited to, to get started and hopefully help our audience really kind of navigate that path. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, the first topic I have is your amazing book, Love mm. Language, which is so powerful, so human, so relatable. And I feel, you know, the, the people-pleasing aspect, especially for women, is just a huge part of kind of how we grow up. And again, not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing when we let that control take over and we give everyone little bits of us and then there's nothing left for ourselves. (laughs) Such a typical story. Sad at the end of the day because we wonder why we're burnt out. So I'd love to, you know, tell our audience about this book, what inspired you Mm. and, you know, did it, was it something that was building, building, building and then burst and you felt like you needed to write the book or like what was the path to bring it to life? Gosh, it was such a, it was almost like a pile up of things. So I'd started Mm -hmm. the Tough Love podcast and was diving into 
universal themes, as you were saying, like that intersection of career and identity and Mm -hmm. understanding how nice it is to have a passion and a purpose, but also where do we live outside of our work or outside of our Mm -hmm. roles that we decide to step into during the day. And, you know, I was like diving into all of these quite, for me, these new vulnerable topics Mm -hmm. after being this sort of not two-dimensional, but this you know, straight up bright radio personality for so many years. So it was really new territory for me doing that Tough Love podcast. And then I remember when I was doing that podcast, I was thinking, you know, one day it'd be so, it would be so wonderful to write a book and branch out from these topics, but almost tell it in like a linear narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. like the way that you watch a movie and you kind of watch all the pieces unfold and you get to the sort of climax, which was for Mm -hmm. me like always a really exciting thing. It's why I love films and it's why I love, you know, narrative podcasts and books and like fictional books. Storytelling. Exactly. Um, So then when it came to writing the book, I wasn't sure exactly of what the story was that I needed to tell. Mm, I knew that I, I knew that there were certain things that I wanted to talk about, and a lot of it was around the notion of performing. I think there was this thing in me that always felt like I wanted to perform and wanted to be perfect, and then I didn't really acknowledge that it was this notion of people pleasing until I started to write out the scenes. Wow. So okay. I, so well, I was like therapy then. It was kind of therapeutic to yeah, open exactly. Because I was going, yeah. okay, let's, and I almost encourage everyone to do this, you know, try and like look yeah. at yourself through this lens of, okay, what are the stories in my life? What are the, what are the scenes that have meant the most to mm-hmm. me? Was it something that happened to you at school? Was mm-hmm. it certain relationships or breakups or things that happened in your family or mm-hmm. things that you're going through currently? And without thinking of, you know, necessarily the thread, the contrived thread that would bring those things together, I just started like writing these scenes that I just, my body felt compelled to write. And once I started writing them, I like laid them out in almost like a timeline and I was like, fuck, this theme is the same in every story, the way that I acted as a child here with my Mm -hmm. parents, the way that I you know, wanted to achieve certain things uh, at the start of my work, in my career, throughout Mm. certain relationships. And I was like, this is, this must be stopped. Wow. (laughs) In a sense. It was like a real kind of investigation. Yep. Um, and, And I saw points in my life that were really recent where, Mm -hmm. as you said, that it felt like this this notion in me of, you know, performing or people-pleasing was like hitting Mm -hmm. this bubbling over the cauldron point where I was going, I have nothing left to give. Like, what what am I doing? And then by writing it down, I went, I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah, you can see the thread, can't you? And sometimes until it's out of your head, whether you say it out loud or you write it down, you just, we're not programmed to see it. No, you know, it just no, doesn't. not all. You're you're, you're in it. You're, you're in, in the it. bubble. Yep. But when you're sort of writing about it, it's almost like you try and take this objective. Oh, what if I just wrote about this girl and uh-huh. this stuff that's happened, and that's what gives you almost a bit of that objectivity to see it from an outsider. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's key is kind of removing yourself from it and seeing it. 
you know, as the outsider. And it's important to do that with all aspects of our life because sometimes it seems so big in our heads and mm. you write it down, you say it out loud, and then you're on the other side and you're like, wow, that actually is not as big of a deal. It will pass like yeah. everything in life, but it's so yeah. tricky to see that in the moment. Yeah, that perspective and that self-awareness, mm -hmm. I think is a big part of of growing. Completely. It comes with age. And you touched on childhood experiences or, you know, even a lot of childhood trauma for people. Like it's so important to dive into that. It can be scary and, you know, kind of a dark place, but it is so important to understand your upbringing and you can change from it. You can grow from it, but doing the work yep. to go in, okay, this happened, not great, affected my adulthood, but at least I know it and I can own my narrative. Being aware. aware. Being actually like awake to awake. where it's, you've come from. Yeah. Yep, completely. And, you know, honor it. All yeah. our backgrounds and I think getting older now and being at the age that I, you know, could start having kids and really thinking about it. Our parents are just doing the best they can. They're they human people. too. I think that's the biggest part of growing up a little bit is at the end of the day, they, they're just humans and they're just trying to do, you know, what they can yeah. at what they're given at that moment. Um, so yes, on that point, I had this a little bit later down, but since we're on parents, yeah. um, you, I've read some articles that you've touched on about divorce and, mm. and going through that at 18. Um, my parents had split when I was about 17 and I so relate to that because it's such a raw age. You're in high school. Everything affects you. Oh, it's all about you. And you just can't understand why they're splitting, even though, at least for my case, it was the best thing that could have happened for them because they're just such different people. And I didn't realize it until, again, growing up a little bit, having a different perspective. Um, how, going through that at that age, how has that shaped your identity, you know, then and now? And I, I read that they, they're friends now. They get yeah. dinner together, which is so cool and helpful for the kids yeah. to have that. So how has that shaped your identity? I think um, at the time when it happened mm -hmm. and you are at that really vulnerable adolescent bubble of so many people, it's it's like, you know, the parents like hang on for dear life until kids can like almost finish high school That's and then exactly they go. exactly what my mom said. <laughs> yeah, and then they go, actually, <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> We're going to blow it up. Yep. So that's, you know, what happened for me when I was 18, my brother was 21. And I think okay. when it when it happened and I look back on this now, I think it gave me, um, and I recognise this as not necessarily a flaw, but it, but it wasn't great, like this sense of being disillusioned about mm -hmm. what I thought. You know, you think that your parents are the world and you think that they're mm -hmm that they should be the role models for mm -hmm. how life and relationships live. And I think for me, when I've talked about feeling almost like I wanted to be a high achiever and needed to be perfect and wanted to get yeah. the best scores in high school and I was ex that I had this pressure on me that it was expected that that was going to happen, mm -hmm. when my parents broke up and had this divorce that was not necessarily clean, mm -hmm. um, it cracked something in me that really wanted to rebel where I, I, I look yep. back on it now and I go, I know that I saw them as really flawed for the first time. And I went to myself like, you know, how dare you have made me feel like I needed to be perfect and get perfect scores at school and mm -hmm. be the, a really good little girl 
when you guys failed and you guys broke down and therefore the authority that what I thought, and particularly from from me with my relationship with my mum, where she was seen as this perfect figure of authority, Mm -hmm. that broke down for me where I went, well, you did something wrong where you you couldn't keep this marriage together. And so therefore I'm allowed to be imperfect and I'm going to do all the things that you told me that I was never allowed to do. So I'm going to go out Mm -hmm. and I'm going to drink and I'm going to stay out till really late and I'm going to get home when my dad is leaving for work in the morning and no one's going to tell me, you know, it, it gave me this sense of like rebellion and bitterness and mm-hmm. um and 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 sadness mm-hmm. i think as well um and now you know with as as the years went on i really did and my brother and i really did begin to see as you said with your parents how them separating was the best thing that they could have done because they are Mm -hmm. wonderful people that were in not the right relationship. Completely. And I don't know about your parents, but it's funny now talking to my mom about it. I just had a really good chat with her last week and they got married when they were 21. Right. And that was normal back in the day. But I think of it and I think of I'm in my early 30s and I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think of them at 21 and I'm like, you don't even have your own identity. Then you're merging identity and communication was different back yeah. then. And it's it's obviously different for each couple, but it is, you kind of like, your bitterness starts to melt away in a little bit. You're like, wow, that's a whole different way yeah. to tackle marriage yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So I think yeah. now the way that it's informed my identity is that I I can see them with so much more compassion than I than I had at the time, mm-hmm. um, and and see it for the, you, you know, you as you learn as you grow up, you learn that relationships exist in the grey areas. It's not black and white. People Completely. don't have great relationships, and then all of a sudden they have bad ones. Like they're just mm-hmm. things. Things unfold in certain ways. Things are complex. Things are tender and delicate. Yeah. And um, I I look at. I look at them now as a really lovely example of how you can go through a relationship and have really wonderful things come out of it, mm-hmm. like my brother and I, mm-hmm. and be able to mend relationships. And like you said, now they are like these hilarious siblings <laughs> almost. Like they have this kind of brother-sister yeah. dynamic yeah. where they kind of bicker at each other but they won't leave each other alone. Yeah. Like, well, there's still that connection, right? Still Whatever that con- it is, still enough to have a marriage connection. and children. So it's, yeah. And how cool for you to still have them both in your life. Yeah. And maybe it's this new, you know, kind of strange, whatever it may be for you, but it, they're together. And then as kids, you yes. can be like, they're both here. They're both present in my life in a more unique way. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I was at 18, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to have separate weddings because they don't want to be in the <laughs> same room as each other and all these things. And now... They're just at all of our things, all yep. together, all yep. the time. I see the way that they defend each other yeah, as right. well. Um, they stick up for each other like I've never heard them speak about when they were in the marriage together, yeah. the way that my mum talks about my dad and the way that my dad talks about mm-hmm. my mum. Different respect, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it has to go through this like, whoa, roller coaster. But on the other side, it's, um, yeah, it's cool when it can be a really, you know, positive 
interaction at yeah. the end. And it's real life. It is. I think that's just it. And you think of that tender age of 17, 18, and you described it so well of bitterness, rebellion, and then sadness. Because at the root of it, that's really what it is, that's isn't it? it? Is. Your identity is unknown. Your the, world is changing. It's, you can't control any of it. And at that age, did you have the ability to communicate that? I mean, besides the act of rebellion and things, did you have the ability to kind of explain it? Because I sure didn't. I can no. explain it now. Yeah. But I go home, like when I was just home recently, and I'm reading these old like journals and things, and I just read what I was writing. And I was like, whoa, there's a lot of emotion in here. But it just showed how you're trying to process it, but you don't really know how to. And it's obviously affecting your identity, but you just, you don't have the vocabulary or the like no. wisdom. Yeah. Literally didn't have the vocabulary. Like mm-hmm. in the love language book, I think I even quoted part a, a, a small part of a very emo diary entry where I was like, yep, I, (laughs) you know, they're getting divorced for real. Mm -hmm. They hate each other. Um, and, and I expressed how I couldn't even tell my best friends because I just wanted to Mm. sort of hide it. So Mm -hmm. I I didn't even know how to articulate it at all. Mm -hmm. Completely. Besides the emo texts, mine was the same. Like, wow, between the bangs and the emo language, My it's um, happy to be out of that. But yeah. it's, it's a reminder that they're people. And have you felt that it's impacted your relationships over the years of kind of going into adulthood, of, of them splitting, shaping your identity, then your relationship identity? Or has it kind of been something you learn from and then you don't want to do it? Or how has that affected the relationships? I guess it's a little bit of how you mentioned um, – now where I am is that I do want to be actively aware of what I want from a relationship and not Mm -hmm. sort of rush and get married and Mm -hmm. do those things and actually kind of take my time to actively choose a partner that I really want to be with and sort of have my own life that exists outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... I think when I look at the way that my parents were together and that sort of identity, they had a lot of similarities, even though they were from such opposite parts of the world, like dad being Italian and mum being Chinese from Malaysia. It seemed like they were so different, but those two cultures are actually so similar in terms of loyalty to family and Mm -hmm. the duty to family and how you almost dissolve into a kind of greater good family identity. And I think there's something in that that is very instilled in me as a foundation where you always have that loyalty and that duty. But I think there's a a very, um, I don't know, there's 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 a part of me that also sort of rebels against that and he's like, well, but I also need to be my own Mm -hmm. person and I need to sort of travel and not, not, solely live in the bubble of um, that kind of family unit. Mm -hmm. It's like a part of me, but it's not the whole of me. Completely. How, I mean, there's so much to unpack there with the different backgrounds. So growing up, knowing that, you know, both sides are equally a part of you, how did that shape your identity with schooling and, you know, the way that you looked and just, you know, different traditions or different backgrounds Mm. and things? Did that play a big role as a kid? It's, um, it's sort of funny because dad's whole Italian family was in Australia. So okay. we were very much in that sort of big, boisterous Italian community mm-hmm. in Sydney where 
they we all we had so, such a big family and loads of family friends and big like multiple weekly gatherings like Thursday Friday Saturday night we were at our nonna nonno's house having dinners and then it was mm-hmm. extra ones whenever it was mother's day and easter mm-hmm. and it wasn't just easter it was like you do the good friday feast then you do the easter saturday then you do sunday mm-hmm. and then you have the day off on monday and so you do something you know it's yeah. just commitment driven by commitment yeah. and and feasting so we very much felt almost like a purely italian family for mm-hmm. most of the year that we're in mm-hmm. australia even though me and my brother looked absolutely half Chinese. And when I, I think when I was a baby, I looked very, very, very Asian. Okay. Um, but we were very much in that kind of Italian community. Mm-hmm. But then every year we would go and visit mum's Chinese Malaysian family mm-hmm. and stay there for a couple of months. So then all of a sudden we were sort of dissolved into that Malaysian community. Um And like I said, it's funny because they are from such opposite geographical parts of the world, but the value systems in both families Mm -hmm. feel identical to Mm -hmm. me. The sense of coming together through food, the sense of the love language being acts of service. Mm -hmm. You know, you serve, you clean up. This is how you Mm -hmm. show your duty and your love and your loyalty is knowing where certain cups go in the, you know, in the pantry and Mm -hmm. knowing where the clean tea towels are so you can help with the drying up and all of that. So I think that really informed our identity. And I think, I don't know, I I think that my brother and I felt quite lucky in that the part of Sydney that we grew up in was very multicultural. So we didn't necessarily feel like outsiders mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. maybe if we'd grown up in a different area we would have felt different yeah. and, I, and I know that certainly when I was you know younger and I went to certain areas I'd go oh there's kind of no one you else around feel it. It a bit more. you could just yeah. feel it a little bit more yeah. but in the areas that we grew up in there was loads of Asian kids and there was loads mm-hmm. of Lebanese and Greek and Italian kids so it sort of felt like we could get the best of both worlds when we w- wanted it and you know mm-hmm. how I don't know if you ever did this when you grow up going to school, there would be a day where you get to bring your national dish yep. to school. Yes. You yep. get to bring it. And I always felt kind of excited that my mum could like put me in a little chong some, you know, little dress, but I could bring a tray of lasagna. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of I, I, I How d- special. It was kind it was she kind of really, fun. Yeah. yeah. Embody both and and that's that's the world. Isn't it? Yeah, Isn't that I, in our backgrounds I, and leaning into him. But yeah, more. I feel I, f- I feel I feel really lucky mm-hmm. um, in that, and I love Completely. the food. So yeah, I mean, the food connects I us mean, all. Really, at the does end of anything the day. else <laughs> matter? <laughs> no, nothing. Only the snacks. I will plan my days sometimes. Even arriving in New York, I have a list on my phone. Oh. Like I have to go here, I have to get here, and then I just feel so. Sometimes like I sit every down day, every day, <laughs> Candace. <laughs> It's like, I, wake up, need to I do know. this it's, to get to that place. And I'm thinking about my next meal as I'm eating the current meal. Oh, I'm like, absolutely. okay, this is satisfy this, but for dinner, what's going to happen now? <laughs> and then I'm shocked when I check my bank account and it's all food. I'm like, this can't be right. They must have like added this twice or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. I know it is. It's what brings you satisfaction. And, you know, there could be a lot worse things. So we'll... <laughs> We'll take it. 
um, on family traditions. I think that is such an important part. And just a reminder to get to know our backgrounds more and to talk to grandma and to talk to her parents and yeah. like, what are those backgrounds? Um, and your current partner is from Norway. Yep. So how do you, how do you guys bring all that together? Is cooking a big part of your life? Do you talk about backgrounds? Like how does that having such different interesting cultures come together for you as a couple? You know, we've noticed recently, I think one of the things that my boyfriend and I bond over is that there's a lot of things in Norway that are very similar to Australia. Mm. The kind of quality of life that sort of, there's a, there's a sense of ease. Oh, I don't want to say that life is easy, but you know, there's a, there's a sense of. Is it more contentment? Yeah. There's kind a sense of, like of stillness. Or yeah. There's a sense present? of peace and like serenity yes. that comes with, and I know that mm -hmm. this is exemplified by the fact that we both you know, we live in America now, which is a very different culture to how it feels mm -hmm. being in Australia or being in Norway. But there is, mm -hmm. whenever we go to Norway or Australia, there's almost this like sense of serenity and peace and beautiful surrounds and mm -hmm. people generally feel calmer mm -hmm. in a way or almost like a bit slower paced mm -hmm. and, you know, it feels like a nice place to like raise a family and yeah. things. Whereas, you know, you're in LA and it feels like a nice place to hustle and a nice place to do, <laughs> do a really good job and let's go get them guys. Yeah. And all, all yeah. of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different, different, different sort of culture. It? So I yeah. think we, we bond a lot over having the ambition to let's go get them guys, mm -hmm. but having that sense of, but at the end of the day, we want to come home and we want to have that sense of like peace and quiet satisfaction and, mm -hmm. you know, harmony and you know I also long for like for nature and mm -hmm. long for the beach and things like that that are in Australia so that's I think what we bond over a lot and I think we've also chosen a really <laughs> kind of inconvenient way to live too because you know we we, ha we consider too that you know, his parents are on one side of the world. My parents are on the other side of the world. We're living in this on this other place in the middle. Yeah. So, a, a lot of our year is also planning out that loyalty to family and going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such a it's such a I think an example of so many people in these modern relationships where you meet yeah. people long distance or you move mm -hmm. countries mm -hmm. or you're somewhere else and you go, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to grow old with you. Let's yeah. do this. We're also gonna have to see my parents every year and see your parents every year. And yeah. if we have kids, where yeah. are they going to be? Yeah. It's a whole different level of commitment. It is. Isn't it? And it I didn't, is. It's not easy. It's not, no. a it's not a marriage of like convenience. Not. A, it's the complete opposite. It is. Actually. It seriously is. And you really have to, yeah, you have to think of the relationship in a completely different view. And, and I didn't understand that until, you know, my partner's Australian, met him in New York, went over to Australia to travel. Long story short, four years later, yeah. I love it. You know, my heart's there with with him, my job, my friends, you know, his family. And then my heart is also on the other side of the world. Yeah. And it really has played such a role in my identity. And I'm curious to see how you've tackled it too, because it's like in one part I feel so content over there and then I feel sad to not see my family and then I'm over here and then I'm guilty because I'm not over here. And it's this like, man, the emotions are just... Yeah. They run wild sometimes. It's a, it's a push-pull and I think, um, I don't know if it increases with age, but I think I, I'm yeah. definitely more aware of it. Absolutely. I think age plays a it, huge It plays a role. huge part and 
you know, that was one of the things I talked about in the Tough Love podcast in the last season was this notion of like, what what is it like if when you live on the other side of the world to your parents mm. and you notice them getting older? Oh, don't even get me started. That is, you know, the, that's, that's I think a very day, real, it's day. a very real thing that mm-hmm. you, you don't even factor in when no. you're younger. You don't, don't even think, think, think about it. I think it's your it. 20s. I don't know. Like even when I moved away, I didn't have, and I was 27 and I just didn't, I was so excited and I know they're very supportive, but it's hit, it's hit me hard going mm. into my 30s. Mm. And mm. You, then you go home. I think because you go home less frequently. So you see aging in a new way. You Whereas do. if you see people every day, you don't notice the changes as much, but I'll go home and I'm like, wow, my dad's 70 now. And I can, mm-hmm. I can tell, mm-hmm. or, you know, my you mom's is grandma's, grandma's looking like grandma you know she's going into these different stages so it's like this this guilt and I know that that you can't live in in guilt either like it's it's on a healthy way but I think it's that awareness that does come with age because you just are so much more yeah you understand life a tiny bit more yeah just a fraction but yeah and I think it teaches you the how important it is to really carve out quality time Mm -hmm. so for me it was almost like even though I wrestle with that push and pull and, yeah. you know, I miss my family and I and I do see my parents getting older, mm-hmm. especially now that I live away from them, I know that um, almost the best version of myself, and I, and I don't really like using that term of like the best version because I don't really feel like, I feel like that almost leans into that sort of perfectionism of like got to be the best, but mm-hmm. I just, I mean that in, you know, the most self-compassionate, mm-hmm. the most fully formed, fully realized, mm-hmm. identity aware version of myself exists when I get to make my own decisions and mm, the live the life that yeah. I really care about and that I value and choosing the person that I want to be with mm-hmm. and living where I live allows me to be that person so that when I do mm-hmm. exist and I go back and visit my parents it's like I am the happiest version of Mm -hmm. me that I could be Mm -hmm. and it kind of gives me the leniency to spend quality time with them as the happiest version of myself and it was almost like when I would when I lived in Australia for a lot of years or when I was in Australia during COVID and I was Mm -hmm. you know stuck with my parents for so much longer than I thought that I was going to be because I thought I would be in LA, you know, my relationship with them, it could have flourished, you know, because we had so much time Mm. together. But instead it it almost deteriorated because I regressed because I was so in that Mm. bubble with them and it was almost like our relationship became this series of innocuous run-ins of I'm putting a load of washing on oh, I'm going to rush through dinner, I'm going to go do, do this thing, you know, whereas now yeah. when I see them or when I FaceTime them every week, it's mm-hmm. like, how are you? Let's have yeah. a real conversation. So it allows you to have, it sounds so strange, but me being further away allows me to have <laughs> a quality, you know, relationship yeah. and also nothing's sort of forever. So, yeah. you know, maybe you and your partner will choose to move mm-hmm. with your parents maybe you'll choose mm-hmm. to move them to Australia like that those are conversations yeah. that Magnus and I talk about which is like let's get your Norwegian parents move them to Sydney mm-hmm. in 10 years and we'll move back there and you know 
figure it out. It's, it's so true. And I, I deeply resonate what you just said because it's one way to like romanticize and be like, oh, well, if I lived at home, we'd have dinner all the time and I'd have, you know, walks with mom every day. But that's really not the case. And sometimes <laughs> you're put in a situation and you're like, God, they drive me nuts sometimes. So it is like <laughs> not so normal. But I think you're right. When it's when you're choosing to call them or you're choosing to email them or FaceTime and just be so present because it feels like your decision. And I think this actually ties so nicely with what the word selfish means because yeah. you're actually choosing to be with your partner. You're choosing to be the best version of you. So then you do show up for your parents or your friends or whatever, whoever it is in such an authentic, real yeah. way because – Man, it's easy to like resent something so quickly totally. too. And I find myself doing that where I, you know, I try to please someone else and then I quickly resent things and then I resent myself. I'm like, where's my voice? Why am I not able to communicate this? Yeah. So it is, you're in a decision and what I'm trying to really teach myself is if you're going to not do something or live somewhere, just own it mm. and know that you're choosing that and that's what you need to do in that moment. Yeah. And don't be like, well, I should be calling her. I should be doing that. It's making time. But yeah, if you don't look after yourself... No one will. Yeah. Either. I mean, your partners and family can do the best they can, but you know what you need. Yep. And that's why self-identity is so important because mm -hmm. when you have a fully formed idea of who you are, yep. then you know what your needs are mm -hmm. and you know what you need to ask for in a relationship Completely. or in your career Completely. or in as a daughter or whatever it is. Like, yep. Yeah, communication. And I, I think it's one of the hardest things that people – go through around the world is that communication. Like, you know what you need, you know what it feels like not to feel good, but then mm. knowing how to communicate that. Is that something that's always come pretty easy to you or like, <laughs> are you okay. kidding? Great. I suck. <laughs> well, I'm like, that's I'm good. good at it in so many other parts of my life. And then I get to my relationships sometimes and I'm like, I can't talk or I can't <laughs> spit it out. Totally. And then it becomes word of vomit. And I'm like, God, this poor guy, like yeah. I've been stewing on this for weeks. I come to him and it's like, no, it's yeah. a volcano. So how do you... How do you tackle communication? How do you work on it? That's my biggest, I think that's my <laughs> biggest lesson is I think one, long distance forces you to be able to talk through things, as mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. you don't have the kind of beauty of distraction of sitting together and just watching a movie, having sex, like do yeah. like things that things otherwise you, do. you would do in the same room together. But yeah. you, you're forced to talk through things. You're forced to, you can't mm. sit and stew on something as easily when you're on the phone because mm -hmm. someone's going to go, why aren't you talking? Or your voice sounds weird. What's going on? And you, yep. there's only so many times you go, oh, nothing. It's, it's I'm fine. Um, and, you know, Magnus is the sort of person that's quite matter of fact and quite, mm -hmm. he's honest in a, mm -hmm. in a very kind but blunt way yeah. where okay. he kind of prods me and goes like, what do you need? What do you want? Just... Say Ask it. for it. Just yeah. fucking say yeah. it. It goes back to people pleasing, doesn't it? Yeah, because instead of you being driven by what you need or what you want, yeah. you're driven by how's that person going to react to me? Yeah. And that's that's not what should be fueling. Like that mm. fear of how someone's going to react should mm -hmm. not be the way that you fuel your decisions or the words that come out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. You should be mm -hmm. going, oh, what is it that I actually need in this? And yeah. for me, that's still something that I I know that I still struggle with mm -hmm. and I'm still working on is knowing how to have those uncomfortable conversations as things arise. Because as mm -hmm. you said, that word stewing, Oof. it's very, She's very, dangerous very word. easy to be a people pleaser yep. for a very long time and be tolerant and go, oh, that's okay. I can yep. do that. I'll pick that up. Yep. That's all good. 
And before you know it, you've got you're laying awake at night and you've got a bit of bitterness. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got a little cocktail like a yep. bit of bitterness, yep. bit of resentment, and you're stewing. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there and you're like stewing yep. on things in your head, and that is that's not. It's the a way. dangerous place, isn't it? And we're it is. all guilty of it. And it all comes when you're about to just go to bed. I hit my head on the pillow, and then it's like. Boom. There's all the thoughts and all the anxiety. Yeah. And I wish I said that. I wish I did that. And yeah, I think it's it's a practice too. I don't think there's ever I'm trying to be good about like it's not just gonna wake up one day and be like, oh, here's my voice, here's how I it's communicate. Hard. It's something that you have to chip away and recognize. They're like, okay, you know what? Today at least I said how I felt to this person, or at least I just did this in my own way. Um, which brings me back to, I loved your, there's a little note in one of your articles. It was about daily success plan and finding success yeah. in little <laughs> yes, yeah. and, yeah. and recognizing this goes back to like the job identity of like, it's only a good day if I presented really well, or it's only a good day if my boss said, good job. But instead, maybe you went for a walk. Maybe you called your grandma, maybe you fed the cat, like you did something. Yeah. So do you still do that? Is that part of I your do. life? Or I like, do. What, what does I that still, look like for you? I still do those daily success plans. It's yeah. I, such a like, silly name for them. But it's basically, Straightforward. you know, I, I like it. For, for so long in my kind of like radio and TV career, I would put my to-do list down at the start of each day and it would just mm-hmm. be work. There'd be like 15 things at work that I wanted yep. to do. And then through COVID and starting the Tough Love podcast and talking to mm-hmm. sort of experts, there was there was a guy called John O'Nicholas who really specialises in well-being and in how to better achieve that sort of work-life mm-hmm. balance, that sort of complex harmony that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is really, really important, yeah. really crucial to get. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is, it's this daily sort of success plan that I just kind of scribble out at the start of each day, at the start of each workday. Weekends, I don't give it, I don't care. Weekdays, weekends are just, just unhinged. <laughs> I'm unhinged. I'm just writing out the to-do snacks that are going to be exactly. happening. But, you yes. know, during the weekdays, it's like I divide it into the four subheadings of the things that actually make me who I am, the okay. self-identity coming back to. And it's like, mm-hmm. what are the things that are important mm-hmm. to me? Well-being. And so I write down three things that I need for my well-being. So it might be yeah. meditate, read for 20 minutes before bed instead yeah. of looking at my phone, mm-hmm. you know, go for a hike. Mm-hmm. And then the next, so it's well-being, the next subheading is social, and then I go, mm-hmm. I'm going to call back my friend Kumi, I'm going to buy a birthday present for Naomi, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do, you know, dinner with my friend Stevie. Yeah. Then it's work. And the same thing with work, I can only put three mm-hmm. major things. And there are some days where it clocks out to be more, but it's yeah. like, you know, record the podcast with Candice, record yeah. a tough love podcast and send off an article, some mm-hmm. interview that's due. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is personal. And so that's like your boring life admin shit that okay. otherwise can build up yep. or, you know, like personal relationships. So it might be just cook myself a healthy dinner. Mm-hmm. Make the dentist appointment that Make the dentist appointment that should have been done last yeah. year and yeah. call my mum. Like yeah. it just just three things, but it's well-being, okay. social personal and work. And when I look at my day like that, and at the end of the day, I look at what has been ticked off in those lists, I can Mm -hmm. see if stuff is out of balance. If all I've done is my work stuff and I haven't meditated or gone for a walk for an hour or, you know, haven't done, haven't reached out to any of my friends, I, Mm -hmm. I know that, oh, well, three out of the four things that actually make me me haven't been touched. And there might be days where that happens, but for that 
I know that I don't want that to be the norm. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, try and tick off things within each of those categories. And it does, I I feel like my stress levels or or that sense of like perspective of Mm -hmm. going, oh man, I had a crap day because I did a bad podcast record. It's like, no, I had, I still had a good day because I did all these other things Mm -hmm. and I could have done better at that work thing, but it's not the only thing that makes me me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I so get that. I think that's really hard to do, but I love this list. I love the order. It's all in two. I'm pretty anal. <laughs> no, I think it's good because it's, but it's a subconscious thing too. It is. Just and getting it out onto the page makes a difference. It completely does. And I felt guilty the other day because I was writing my work list and then underneath, and it was in my work journal, but I was like, personal. And that was like the second thing I did. And it was like really basic stuff, doctor's appointments, call this person back, whatever. But it was funny because this kind of guilt came out that I was like, oh, I had my personal list on here. And I sat there and I was like, wow, okay, this is maybe a little off balance for me. Mm. And I love the work I do. And I feel so grateful I get to do it every day, but I'm only going to do the work well if I look after myself too. Biggest lesson. Woo, isn't it? Yeah, we're just not trained. And I think it is like we're, you know, achievers and we like we work in fields that we like, which is half the battle, you know, to work in something that you feel privileged to do and grateful. Um, But yeah, I sat there. I'm like, wow, this is kind of sad that I feel off for having other things. So now I write a separate list that like lives outside the workbook. And it's just a reminder that we're we're so much more than employees. Yeah, people. And but we have to really push that because it's it is. Yeah. It's quite ironic that the thing that makes us best at our work, having a healthy mind, having a healthy mm-hmm. body, those are the th- first things that go yes. when you feel a yes. bit stressed. Completely. What's that saying? Oh, if you can't find five minutes in your day to meditate, you need it You most. need 20. Yes. I've, well, who says that? Oh, I've definitely I've heard this. I've listened to me and I was like, Oh, it's so true. true. It's It's so true. If you're on that kind of like rushy energy, oh, I just can't do it. I'm just so busy. I I can't spend five minutes eating. It's like, shut the fuck up. Go spend 15 minutes in the sun, eat a banana. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing is, in this world, there's a lot of you know unfairness and and this and that of different communities. But at the same time, we're all given the same amount of time each day. <laughs> so I always think I'm that. I'm like, you know what? Whether you're rich, poor, this and that, we all have this block of time. And what you decide to do with that time is up to you. Even if it's a minute, <gasps> a meditation, sitting in the sun and feeling the warmth on your face. It's kind of getting, you know, becoming more present with the little things in life and how good exactly. we actually have it. Exactly. Because it's, it's a wild world out exactly. there. Exactly. The meditation one is is an interesting thing. I absolutely believe in it. I wish I could do it every day and I get really into it of like certain types of meditation and then I do struggle to make the time for it. Yeah. Do you find that with habits like that, do you, you know, you're with them for a little bit and then fall off the wagon or is it just like how do you how do you tackle stuff like that? Different I think the meditation thing, I think it meditation I think for me is really mindfulness, mindfulness Mm -hmm. during the day. And that can take so many different forms. So it can either be spending, you know, eight or 10 minutes or laying down, closing the door in the office and doing a a meditation. Like I I use an app on my phone. Mm -hmm. What's the app? I use Balance. 
I haven't heard of this one. So I've used used a few different ones in the past. You know, there's other big ones. There's like the Calm app. There's Headspace, Headspace. of course. At the moment I'm using Balance, which I I really like. It's just about finding the one that you like. Mm -hmm. So I use that one. But then sometimes mindfulness comes in other forms, which is going for a walk, mm-hmm. going for a walk with a podcast, going a walk. I, f- I feel like it's something that you, I you have to do alone. 100%. So it's, mm-hmm. for me, it's either sitting and doing that mindfulness meditation app on my phone or it's making sure that I go for a walk and I notice if I don't do it, How that's when stuff feel off. Yeah, yeah. Feel, a little, feel a little bit off. But yep. it gets, e- I think it gets easier once you, hold yourself accountable and just sort of make yourself make yourself do it but there's mm-hmm. days that I skip too mm-hmm. and quite lately I've noticed that those days that I skip are almost because I'm like I feel okay today I feel pretty yeah. I feel pretty all right I, I did probably that walk sh- yesterday I feel yeah, yeah yeah completely I feel like you cannot underestimate the power of a good walk getting out in fresh air and and rethinking your your day-to-day life. I think one good outcome of COVID within my career path is that people thought differently about, you know, Zooms and but walking meetings even like why do we have to be sitting at a desk totally. to have that conversation? So yeah. my my team got up and, you know, as a business we would take different calls walking around. We just kind of decided to play a little bit and test the way that we could work and that lifted my, our spirits so much. So it's those little practices that yeah. just because someone not doing it in your office. Maybe just, you know, recommend it. Say, hey guys, we're going on a team brainstorm today. Put yeah. your shoes on. We're going around. Yes. And it I changes. Think actually science. Isn't there actually, don't quote me on that, but I feel <laughs> like there's actual science in there where your brain fires very differently yes, when, you're, when you're moving. When you're, when you're moving. Yep. Yep. Like I when I know who said this or what I don't the, remember who said it, is, but it's, I'm pretty it's sure that it's real, but I, and, but I, but I feel like I'm a real example of that where like when I was figuring out all the episodes of the mm-hmm. first season of the Tough Love podcast, mm-hmm. I did that while pacing around my dad's pool. And a pool. Okay, had, this is new. The pool it was way too dirty. He hasn't cleaned it in so long. Um, but the pool's way too dirty, dirty to use. But during COVID, when I was back living at dad's place, yeah. I would just do this thing where I would just pace around the pool and like write notes in my <laughs> phone. <laughs> do they have footage of this? <laughs> I'm sure that someone has got it. They're like, who is this psycho this. little girl? No, <laughs> just you, you pacing, can't. You know, the creative process is different for everyone. Exactly. Love this. Yeah. Okay. So that came to you as you were. As I was pacing around yeah. the pool. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's just rethinking our yeah. day-to-day things. <laughs> yeah. it's, I think that's another part of people-pleasing. It's like, oh, it's done this way, therefore I must do that. Or if, you know, take over a role from someone, well, they did that, therefore if I'm going to be good, I must do that, which that's part of finding your own identity and knowing what works for you and, and not being afraid to shift it completely. And I always think, what's the worst thing that could happen? It doesn't go well, maybe it doesn't yeah. launch as well. Like, I think it's it's really easy to, like, to have that fear in you of, oh, it's just terrible, it's going to be terrible. But if you actually just list everything that could happen mm-hmm. at the end of something, it's really not that bad when you think of it. And even in relationships and communication, I'm like, okay, well, if I say how I really feel, what's going to happen? And if you list it, again, get it out of your head, it's less scary like doomsday. Yep. You just you have this like confidence of, okay, you know what? I'm not going to die from yeah. this just because I'm yeah. expressing how, what yeah. I need in a relationship. Yep. Yep. So it's, yeah. It's an interesting process. These it human is. brains of ours. I know. They, they're complicated, <laughs> but wonderful, complex. Um, one point that we haven't touched on mm. is your radio presence. 
And that's where I feel like we're going to have so many fangirls and guys listening to this because you have <laughs> that such a cool job. And I feel, you know, you have your identity on there, your own person. Was that challenging for you in a way of like, you know, broadcasting your voice to millions of people? And did you feel like it was different when you left? Or like, what was that whole journey with self-identity on radio? While I have been the sort of person that has struggled with decisions and decision mm -hmm. making in my life and how we were saying, you know, thinking about the consequences of each thing and yeah. wanting to sort of people please or be a good girl. Um, mm -hmm. Being in radio was the one thing that I always felt very, very concrete on. Wow. Being a host, okay. presenting on radio, talking about music, interviewing, yeah. I always felt really, I don't know, there was a sense of ease. I, yeah. I, some, some, something in me as a kid through yeah. to being a teenager, through it was always what I wanted to wow. do. How good does that feel, that security? Because that's a rare feeling for a lot of us. I can't believe to feel that. how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. How old were you? I, I would have started recording my voice as a kid, as we all do, when, you know, I would have been like, maybe five or six. Oh, wow. Okay, and so then, this dates but then, back. But, then, you know, just as a kid with, you know. Yeah, but you were drawn to it. Yeah, like me and my brother recording fart noises and yeah. then <laughs> recording our voices into the little recorder. And then, yeah. you know, most kids kind of grow out of it. But then yeah. I think I was in my teens, early teens and then into my yeah. mid-teens where I would really start to record, make funny little radio shows. Yeah, right do stuff in my room, like mm -hmm. shut the door, get mm -hmm. really embarrassed if anyone walked in, but just be sitting like, there Hello. kind of crouched over. broadcasting yeah. session. <laughs> <laughs> the on-air light is on, Dad. Get out. <laughs> so I would sit there and, and record things. So it just yeah. I think that always felt um, a very organic part of mm -hmm. me. And so when I landed a job as a, as a radio presenter, when I was, you know, kind of fresh out of uni and started doing it full time, mm -hmm. that felt well, it felt like where I needed to be. Yeah. It felt like the right place. Yes, mm -hmm. this is where I am and I can show up and I can just be you. Just be me and yeah. do that job every day. And as we said earlier, there's such a, a pride that you can get in having purpose and having a passion and mm -hmm. getting those things out of your work. There's something mm -hmm. so powerful in that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then for me now, I also understand that there's a fine line in when I've pushed that too far and when I've given, you know, all of myself to my work or when I've just mm -hmm. pushed, when I've gone over that line where, you know, I should have maybe taken some time off or I shouldn't have loaded my plate so full mm -hmm. with work. And I think for me, yeah, just learning that balance of things has been yeah. very very important because yeah. otherwise who you are on air becomes completely who you are that sort of yeah. brand mm -hmm. um, mentality in it and it could and it's very it's very nice and it gets you to really good strong places and it puts money in your bank account and mm -hmm. can gives can give you a status and it can give you followers mm -hmm. um, but there's more yeah. to life completely and that's hard when you love it so much. Yeah. You know, and it does become part of you. But it's, yeah, it's back to the perspective. I think it comes back to your values as a person mm. too because our careers are such a huge pillar of us. But then you kind of have to do the work. Okay, like, hey, what else is important to me at this stage in my life? Whether it's kids, a family, travel, yeah. food, whatever it may be. So it's kind of, yeah, having the ability to take a step back, which is hard to do in the moment. 
when you're in it yeah. and you love it and you're fortunate enough to be in a career that you really like. Exactly. So it's, yeah, taking that step back. But at least it felt, I think the biggest thing is, is the natural, how natural it feels when you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's still going to be, I'm sure you've got nerves of certain yeah. you know, projects and things, but when it feels right, you have to really lean into that. Yeah, I think completely. so. Yep. So how could we, our listeners that, you know, you love the the idea of identity, but are, are not really sure how to, you know, take that first step to to understand themselves more. Is that, like your book, I think is such a good example of like kind of getting out of your head, writing it down. Are there any other tips that you would tell them? Because we have such a wide range of people mm. from, you know, Frank launched 10 years ago. So those millennials and then younger mm. people that are, you know, starting the brand are a little bit older, all different stages of life, basically. How mm. would you start to unpack what your identity looks like, what your values are, and just kind of start that inner conversation with yourself. I mean, for me, it didn't really start until I started writing it down, yeah. until I started kind of recording it almost documentary mm-hmm. style. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you need to sit and write a book about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but do if you want. <laughs> but, uh, but I do think that having a really kind of close tender look at where we've come from mm-hmm. is a really important thing. Thinking about, like actively thinking about the ways that we act or we show love today mm-hmm. and the context that we've grown up in because it's all about the context. It's all, 100%. it's all about the context and the environment that we grow up in. And then I guess like thinking about what those things have taught you, the things that you want to take from those experiences Mm-hmm. And the things that you want to leave behind, mm-hmm. the stuff you you do so want to hold on to and, and, and inherit mm-hmm. in a very real way, and then the things that you want to break the cycle of. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's always going to be things that you know I want to break the cycle of that yeah. happening. You know, if I become a parent or when I become mm-hmm. you know an, an adult, and all yeah. of those. When does that happen? When does I don't? <laughs> I'm still <laughs> waiting. <laughs> I am still waiting. I always talk to my girlfriends day, about this. I'm like. But we're now the age that our bosses were back in the day. But I'm like, do you feel old? She goes, no. I'm like, I don't either. Like, when do you? I know. I think about, <laughs> I see photos of my parents. I'm like, my mom was younger than yes. me. But she was such a, like, seemed like such an adult. But yes, yeah, it's it's funny, I, think, it? I think it is important. Yeah, just have a think about where where you've come from. I do think that journaling can be mm. such an important tool mm-hmm. and just getting your thoughts out onto the page Absolutely. and you can throw the pages away. You don't have to read it again. You don't I have to read it again. Beauty. Burn it. Burn it. If you Do want. whatever you Just want. Or read it, it back and laugh at yourself. Yeah. Or, or you got know, options. Yeah, you've got options. You can do whatever you want. But I do think journaling is like a really yeah. beautiful thing. And, and, and I do um, also think that with that comes the, the perspective to know, as we were saying, who you are and what, what your non-negotiables are, mm-hmm. what you actually want in yep. your life. Because Completely. when we don't make those choices for ourselves, someone else does. They get I made for you. It's a slippery slope. You may it's, end up in relationships that you maybe wouldn't, if you were really actively thinking about it, you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be in. And I don't just mean romantic. I mean like friendships, friendships the I, company you keep. 
the career that you're in, mm-hmm. where you live, how mm-hmm. you live. Because that becomes your whole world, doesn't it? We're yeah. all living the same world. But my perspective, I could look at the same glass and I'm thinking of one memory. You're thinking of something. Like we're all just a product of our past experiences yeah. of what has happened to us. And how can you ex- expect someone else to know what you want if you don't even know what you want? Exactly. Like, that's my biggest thing this way. I'm like, well, why did they say that to me? But I'm like, but I don't even know what I'm looking for. So how can you, you yeah. know, go, it's a two-way street. Yep. Really. So I think that's good advice. Do not underestimate the power of writing. And I think something, because I'll like get a fresh piece of paper and then I'm like frozen all of a sudden. I can't mm-hmm. think what to mm-hmm. write. So it's just starting. And then it's amazing. Once you start, it just, it's like a, yeah. a flood. I um, In the, <laughs> the notebook that I have that I do the daily success plans, yeah. there's one page of it where I, I don't normally use it as my kind of writing journal, but mm-hmm. I think for some reason I, I used it and I saw it a couple of days ago and I reread it, Candice. Yeah. And I think I obviously didn't know what I needed to write, you know, at the start. I was just yeah. like, oh, I'll just do a little whatever, just little brain fart journal for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And the start of it was just me farting on about the PowerPoints in the bedroom. I was like, the PowerPoints look like faces, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, this is a bit quirky and funny. And then about a paragraph into it, I went so deep into this obviously very sort of troubling, highly emotional, fragile, like I was, I think I was about to get my period. You know, I was like really, really emotional, feeling really tender about something. Yeah. And seeing it there and just going, wow. <laughs> At least I got, and then by the end of the entry, I was we're like, the, I'm feeling the end. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm feeling much better. <laughs> and that is such a good example of how our brains work. God, it's, just it's like, like, oh, what am I gonna eat for this? Did I respond to that email? Did I even respond to that Slack? Oh, look at that Instagram post. Oh, I'm feeling good. It's like this, <laughs> it's just this little giant wave. cycle. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was a fun experience. So I encourage it. I love it. So that's this is a sign that everyone needed to go write something down. Write, <laughs> write it something down. Anywhere. I love napkins in um, cafes. And you things. can write on a nap. I feel Absolutely. like they care. So a certain easily. ones when I traveled a bit by myself and I wrote my parents, my sister, like little notes on these napkins and they didn't say anything, you know, that exciting, but just like where I was, what I was feeling that time and then sent them to them. And when I went home, my dad actually, I went into his room and they had framed it. Oh my God. I was like, oh, this is cool. But it just shows you, like, that had made his day to get something from, you know, the other side of the world in Indonesia. Here's this little napkin. But it just goes to show you the power of words of what they can do because it was releasing for me. And then he loved to receive it. So you just never know what it can do for you or, you know, if you're sending it to someone, how powerful. And it ties into how you were saying that sort of notion of even when you're away from someone you've chosen to be away from them, Mm -hmm. you can still maintain a tethering together. You can still choose to be present and to show up for your parents, even if you are in a bar on the other side of the world and they're in their home in wherever they are. It's like you can still choose to be present and have quality time. Yeah, I think it's that choice, isn't it? Because you can, it's that little message that just, I love you, thinking of you, you know, hope your day goes well. Took me less than a minute to write something like that. Means the world to them to wake up to it. So I think it's just kind of, feeling less guilty and then showing up in ways that, you know, we're going to, you know, make their day a little bit more, a little better. Yeah. So I totally get it. I have two last questions for you. Hit me. So you've covered a lot of them, but just to recap, why is self-identity important? Self-identity is crucial because Mm -hmm. through seeing ourselves as a whole, 
mm-hmm. all the things that maybe we want to improve on, all the things that make us us in terms of like I know what my sort of flaws are. Like I I know what my weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. I know what my strengths are. I know the things that I'm actively trying to work on. And mm-hmm. because of that, I know what I need out of mm-hmm. each day out of each hour and out of each relationship that I Mm -hmm. choose to step into. Mm -hmm. And I think I wouldn't have that sense of direction or intention, Mm -hmm. which we should all, which we, I I would like to live with, Mm -hmm. um, without having a holistic sense of who and what I am. Mm -hmm. Completely. Nothing, nothing to add to that. That is <laughs> leave me on that one. Flip and the table. We're done. One more. What does selfish mean to you? Oh, juicy. Slowly learning, <laughs> slowly learning this notion of being selfish-ish. Um, mm-hmm. I was yes. telling you, you know, like um, when you asked me to be on this podcast that my friends and I have this running joke where we're in our selfish phase, mm-hmm. which is basically just this acknowledgement of treating ourselves with a bit more self-compassion, having more kindness and compassion for ourselves Mm -hmm. in the way that we have it for everybody else, in the way that I have it for a friend that's having a hard time or a friend that might be struggling. I'll say, you know, give yourself the day off, relax, Mm -hmm. do something. And I would never speak to myself. Isn't it? I know. I would never speak to myself with that sort of like calmness and compassion Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, lift like that sort of buoyancy where you want to lift your friends up. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need to do that for myself. Mm -hmm. And if I need this certain thing today, then I Mm -hmm. need to give myself Mm -hmm. that certain thing. And for me, that's what being selfish means. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, we say the word selfish as a, as a joke, as this yeah. sort of, you know, self-centred, hilarious joke, but but it's but it's very real. It um, is. And I think when you live for so many years where you just want to give, give, give to everybody else, mm-hmm. it's that notion of um, women quite often being taught to be selfless. Which and is so sad, isn't it? Because that's so actually sad. the definition of losing your identity. It is. You give everything up, so you're so selfless that you lose yourself. And what a compliment you'd say to say, oh, what I, a selfless woman, what a selfless mother. She's the epitome of And you go, actually, that's not what I want to aspire yeah. to be. Yeah. So let's flip it a little, mm-hmm. be a bit more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Underst- it's like put your own... What is it? I'll put your face mask put on your, first before the other. Before the other person. That's yes. what it is. So you have to like take it's care of that. Completely. And I think and be okay with knowing that it's a journey. It's yeah. going to maybe feel a little uncomfortable first to do what you need to do. But then as you it's like a muscle. As you keep yeah. working it, it will become easier and then people will see that. And I think it could have a ripple effect. Even with like my friends network, be like, you know what? I have plans tonight. I'm exhausted. I actually just want to stay in and take a bath. And I communicate that in the most authentic, honest way. Then they know next time, like, well, you know, I really don't want to do this. So I'm going to be my true self. So I think it has the ability to have a real magnetic effect. Yeah. But it has to kind of just start. And 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 I don't think that you'd ever be at risk of swinging it too far where all of a sudden you become this (laughs) reckless wildly (laughs) villain, you know, that is really, really self-centered and, and, truly selfish or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, because you're always going to have that notion of 
still wanting to please and accommodate your friends and care about them and do things that make them happy, but Mm -hmm. you're also doing things to make you happy. Yeah, exactly. Well, I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much, Linda, for coming on and traveling over here. This has been podcast number two for me, and I felt so comfortable with you. So thank you. They always say the second time's a charm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm lucky it was you then because this was so impactful, and I really hope our listeners take something from it. That's that. Take it all. Take it all.